Welcome to the Localization Fireside Chat. I'm Robin Ayoub, your host. Join me for captivating conversations with industry leaders exploring localization, translation, and global communication. Ignite your curiosity as we expand your horizons through these conversations. So let's dive in together into the Localization Fireside Chat. Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to the Localization Fireside Chat. My name is Robin Ayoub. I'm the founder of this 100% independent podcast and YouTube channel that is dedicated to the localization industry. And this afternoon, I have with me, and I have the honor to have with me my good friend and colleague. We've worked together for many years, Tudwal Delil. And uh, Tudwal, he is the managing director for Limebridge Games. And uh, Tudwal, welcome to the channel. Welcome to the conversation. Always good to see you. And looking forward to having a conversation about localization for games. Games localization is uh, really happening worldwide and having some insights from your perspective to dwell would be great because the there's some, you know, information, misinformation, whatever you want to call it about what is involved, why localization for games, etc. What's the driver behind it, how it's done, etc. We'll dig into those in, eventually in this conversation. First, thank you for joining us. Like every, like we say on this channel, everybody's got a story. And, you know, this is my 52 podcast recording and counting. And every one of those stories is a very interesting story. This industry has many in, interesting stories to be told. And that's your opportunity. Welcome to the channel, TD. If you don't mind, give us your story. Sure. And Robin, thanks for having us. You know, when we talked in Boston, it was like two weeks ago. I discovered you were doing a, a podcast. Oh, I want to talk. I want to be with you. I mean, we've always enjoyed our encounters and always have fun together, right? So thank you for having me, inviting me, right? And so yes, my, I've watched a few of your podcasts, so I know you always ask what the story, right? I was watching John's recently. So I knew quite early that I wanted to be in the language business, right? From high school in the French when you you know, like your last three years of your uh, high school education, you can, you can, you used to specialize liberal arts versus science. I choose the liberal arts and with an emphasis on, on languages. So I studied English, German, and Russian those days. So I knew what I wanted to be in the language business. I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do, to be fair. So I went into a uh, university in the West Coast of France. And for the first two years was a lot about civilization, linguistics, general accounting, legal, I mean, kind of a overall language and business training. It's only when I got into the, the third and fourth year that I knew I, I would become, I wanted to become a translator and a terminologist. We had a, a, and you'll see the connection with you or been in Canada, right? We had a bunch of teachers, right? Who were actually formerly professional translators had been in Canada. One of them had been actually working for a long time in a translation bureau in Canada. And they brought all those very interesting practices, right? To the, to the, learning world to the university world, right? Okay. And we move from translating like, you know, very generic article to working on real life translation projects. And, and we just loved it. Right. And, you know, start, I mean, they were very, I mean, Canada is, is, is still is, but was in those days very advanced in terms of translation processes and technology. We really worked on, you know, we actually worked on a database, terminology database that was uh, contributing to Termium in those days. So we had that type of connection. Yeah, you're speaking, I mean, you're speaking 86, right? That was very early in France. So they completely different approach to being a translator and we just loved it. 
And I was, I was thinking, it was funny. It says, in, in our fourth year project, right, our thesis in a way was we translated a an ERP software for a Chicago company, and we were twenty students. We did six hundred pages in six months. So I was thinking, like really high productivity, right? But it was really exciting. So I knew I would. Uh, I knew that's what I wanted to do. And then you know, entered the the working world, right? Okay, and you know did the traditional translator, editor, program manager, but rapidly move into operations management. And, you know, when I joined language around 2022, starting to move in strategic account management, strategic business development, right? And, you know, speaking about games around 2014, I saw a market opportunity and worked with language management to really formalize that opportunity in language game services in those days, and just accelerated that opportunity when John and came as a CEO and asked me to focus on games, which was a really a, a good, fabulous decision by, by language. And it's been really a fun, a, a fun moment. Okay. So, and just having fun every day, literally. Right. Okay. So. So for the audience, some fun facts, and I don't mind, if you, I hope you don't mind, I spell it a, bit, a little bit of it being not too much of a spilling, but Tudual is from France and he currently resides in the United States. So. He had to make the change. He had to make the shift. Like we live in a global environment now, and yeah. we've always been as 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 language lovers, as as passionate for languages. We always lived in that mindset that the there is no borders. It doesn't matter where you are. You you're doing what you love to do, and you continue to do what you love to do. Sorry. So, how was that transition for you? From you know, just on a personal level, from moving from one country to another, how how did that work for so, you? So, yeah, great question, actually. So, I, I moved a lot quite around. I worked actually during my university curriculum, right? I, I used to, I stopped at the second year, lived in England for a year and a half, came back after the third year, went to Germany, right? Okay, and lived there for a year. And even when I was a, a, a language student in high school, I used to hitchhike around. Uh, the UK, England stuff. So I, I always love to travel. Uh, uh, had lived, I mean, even like two or three years into my job, I moved to the United States on the East Coast to actually manage a small company uh, that was doing work for the World Bank, right? Among other things, fascinating job, right? So and so, I loved, always loved to move around. I, I met my wife at Forest of College, same love of travel, shared a passion for Canada. She had just worked as a translator terminologist in in, in Canada for six months, have some Canadian, a lot of Canadian friends. So that got us together. And so after five, six years in Paris, I was offered that opportunity to move to Seattle, you know, to spend a lot of time around the Microsoft relationship that was growing. And without hesitation, I remember the call said, hey, and should I press send? And she says, yes, go. Right. <laughs> okay. It was really, so it was a family decision uh, to move and it's been a great decision. Right. I mean, I've, I've enjoyed my time in Seattle immensely and so has the family i believe right okay so uh -huh. excellent great now for those who are not familiar and, and our audience most of them some of them are some of them are not familiar with the the game market the games market can you talk a little bit about so initially when you thought okay so this is a great idea i gotta do it and there was some issues there was some stuff that happened that pushed you to that and a company making decision to move in that direction you saw an opportunity etc so what is the, the games market, and why do you think at the time and now you still believe that it is a good market to be in? Totally, totally. So, I mean, the games market is the largest form of entertainment on the planet in terms of revenue. I mean, it's $180 billion, right? So it, it surpasses movies, music, books combined now, right? So, 
and numbers are floating around that uh, there would be about three million billion gamers to um, you know enjoying that form every day in various platforms console pc mobile so it's a very very significant industry it is touching growing demographics right okay and of course growing you know in all the markets and locales in the world right it's it's a truly global phenomenon and interestingly on the on a bit of a soft story but maybe one of the area because you know i'm surrounded by gamers right i've got one at home next door right okay and one of the form area where people can still connect right with people who are different from them right i mean phil spencer CEO of Xbox said, hey, it's the only year, maybe one of the only year where I can play with somebody. They can be of any uh, walks of life. I don't know. We don't care. We're just having fun around the game. So I think there's a very interesting element to that beyond the sheer numbers, which are, you know, very significant. Just give you a sense, when we went to Language Board in 2014 to create language games, it was, we were very excited that the market was at 60 billion, right? Okay. It's triple, triple. <laughs> And, you know, analysts have it at 300 billion by 2030. Who knows, right? Okay. I mean, it's going through a, it's clearly a shakeup those days and a slowdown, but clearly a very significant market opportunity for us. And that's where I decided to, to go into it. We had a number of programs and projects in those days and customers were asking us whether we were actually project scale or industry scale, right? And we had to really make a decision and, you know, fortunately, and intelligently language decided to be industry scale and really invest in it. And that's how that formalized. Now, going back to the story a little bit, right? Okay. I, I created the, the, the first games translation department in 93 in France as part of my, you know, wow. predecessor employer. Yeah. You know, and is, and, and it was, things were different, right? It was, you know, it was most, what you could call edutainment in the beginning, right? Uh, products like creative writers or creative writer, sorry, or Magic School Bus by Microsoft, okay? And, but still, that's where we started. So I got a early insight into what the game, and it was already a very fun product compared to, and I, my, I grew up and I still, you know, in technical translation, right, okay? I, I used to work with teachers who were working for Siemens, right, okay? And, and then working for Microsoft, so very technical, very different disciplines, Right, clearly going to games gives you a, an interesting balance in, in, in what you do, right? So, and, but then, you know, around 2014, around from 2010 to 14, we started to grow a number of relationships and it was time to decide. Customers wanted us to decide and we decided. And the rest, as I say, is a bit of a history as we build one of the world yeah. leaders in the, in the, in the support. And, into the game services area, right? So, if you, do, if you don't mind, if you don't mind me asking an elaborate question, so, You've seen the, I want to call it translation, just to make sure that some people are confusing localization and translation. We're talking about the same thing here. So if we are talking, you've seen translation being done in industries other than the games industries, and you've seen it from within the gaming industry. What are, in your opinion, what are the fundamental differences between these two? And I'm assuming there are differences. Yeah. For the most part, it's a creative endeavor right okay i've done i am a translator i've done a lot of translation right okay mm -hmm. and i've worked with teams doing i mean technical translation or what we call a software localization is about it's all about accuracy precision mm -hmm. right repetition and precision right okay and so you got to know the product you're going to know the the technology you're working on right so that's one format and and, and the game side you still have that uh, 
you need to know the IP, what we call the genre, you need to know the game, you need to play a passionate gamer, but you're really conveying a story to your culture, right? You have to completely understand the culture of the product, the story of the product, and you have to say, all right, how do I make sure that my fellow gamers in France, Germany, name the market, right? Have a similar emotion and, and, and experience similar emotion when, yeah, yeah. when they play the game. That's really fundamental. Right. Okay. Yeah. So you're going from precision in a way, and I don't want, which is hard, by the way. Right. Okay. Because you need, it's not easy. Right. It's not a matter of difficulty. It's a matter of what to a storytelling. Right. So different people, different translators. Right. We you know language has a very, very community supporting our various verticals. The the gamers, people, game enthusiasts who localize are not the same that would support us on a product or technical localization, life science product. Very different. So, it sounds like it sounds like you know it's all about who consuming the content, right? So, so if the if if the an engineer was reading a tech manual, need to understand it in a certain way. But if a young teenager playing a game, they need to feel that emotional attachment, that emotional impact to what they're doing. I'm assuming, right? Completely. Talk. It's it's exactly that, Robin. It's about it's about it's about the emotion, right? Okay. That's why we always say always we we'll, we'll, you know we tell our teams, right? Okay. Think about the, the gamers first, right? And the, mm -hmm. the end customer is not a publisher developer, right? It is a gamer in the market who's going to consume that product, who's going to spend, you know, $50, $60 or has a subscription to a streaming yep. service for games. So it can be a significant investment for a person. We need to respect that experience, right? Yeah. Okay. yeah. And, and by the way, gamers are very vocal when that experience is not met or their, their expectation yep. is not met, right? This notion yep. of game community, you know, pretty rapidly when you haven't hit the bump, right? That's right. That's right. They make it known. They make it known, right? Yeah. Which is great. I mean, I love this feedback loop, right? Okay. That's how we that's right. we improve and, and make it right for them, right? So you've been running Linebridge games for a while now, and you know, you know the market, you know the competitors, you know what's going on around you. Would you mind telling the audience what makes Linebridge games different? What makes Linebridge Games such a success story? I've known you for years. I've watched you grow this uh, division for, you know, leaps and bounds. I've talked to you on several occasions, and every every time I talk to you, you're full of excitement. You're still excited. You're still passionate about this. You haven't hit that plateau yet where everybody says, "Oh, I'm bored. I got to do something different." You're still so excited about it. There must be a secret there. I'm trying to trying to unlock that. Yeah. So, by the way, it's our 10 year anniversary. I think people have inferred that from my, you know, me mentioning. There you go. We're, we're yeah. talking on your 10 year anniversary. Yeah. That's very good. Exactly. So it's going to be, I mean, we're going to celebrate a lot uh, this year, right? Okay. Look, I think the our success is really, you know, due to the quality of the people we've assembled. Okay. As I was talking to one of our leaders the other day, he says, I don't understand what's here, but all the people I'm working with are really, really good, right? I'd say, all right, fine, I will take it as a compliment, okay? But again, I think it's really day in, day out, work on the, the think about the focus on the gamer, right? Okay, right? Forget the rest, forget revenue, forget margin for a second, right? Because we have to run, a, we're running a business, but focus on the gamer, work, work on that experience, okay? And we'll be good, okay? And so that's one aspect uh, that's really on the output and the quality. And also the other aspect I think we've been very good at is forming that very unified customer experience for our customers, right? Okay. I want them to feel that when 
when they engage with our sales team, solutions team, our delivery team, they speak the same company, same culture, right? That even if they buy different services, we have actually significant number of customers who actually buy multiple services from us, like audio, QA, LQA, to experience. But across the board, they have to feel it's easy to work with us and it's easy like to work one company. I think those two elements I've created are uh, part of elements. I think we've also invested significantly in the business, right, at the right time. Okay, we've accelerated when it was good to accelerate. We've made a number of smart acquisitions. With DNA runner. So all those factors together have, have, you know, have been the source of our success. But so. Yeah. So this is great. Like I know you guys have made some acquisitions that supported the business and moving it forward. You know, and I also noticed, and I correct me if I'm wrong, that when the pandemic hit a few, few years ago, 2020, 2021, I felt it. There was, there has been a surge in consu- digital consumption, you know, digital whatever that is, games, videos, uh, Netflix, whatever it is, Any, because people are, you know, they needed a source of, they needed a source either of entertainment or, yes. you know, passing the time or whatever it is. Has this impacted you positively, negatively, or indifferent? Yeah, no, totally. I mean, you're completely right. I mean, this, I would say this 2019, late 22 moment has been a, a a, a significant growth in our business, same similar as Netflix, for example, or, you know, people being at home consume much more, you know, entertainment in every uh, form, right? Okay. I think the space now is digesting that moment, right? People, you know, are going back to going back to the theaters, right? They're going back, you know, to the restaurants. So the discretionary spend that gamers would have for games is reduced. And I think you can see that impacting the gaming world those days, right? There's yep. a bit of a shakeup. Some people say there's too many games on the market. Studios are closing, right? Of course, that is what I mean. This surge in in gaming time was supported by very uh, low capital and low interest money, right? So people invested a lot in new studios, new games, right? And I think there's a bit of a moment that's going to last probably through 2024, where the the publishers and developers are reassessing. What games do they want out there, right? Really the ones that will be successful, for refocusing maybe on quality, right? So there's a bit of a, a moment of, all right, let's pause for a second and reassess where we are post-COVID and where do we want to go for the next couple of years. So we've seen a, a bit of a slowdown in our, in our space. Generally. That's what I was going to ask you, yeah. yeah, because I've seen some shifting in in, in various, you know, I just heard the, actually somebody sent me in, news this morning i robot you know laying off a whole bunch of people and they you know amazon called off their acquisition on that yeah. so it's you know i'm seeing we're seeing it everywhere have you seen it in the gaming industry and to what extent and how did yeah. you navigate all this yeah yeah so yes we we have a channel right which is not a, a happy channel where we, we track customer events right okay and unfortunately for the last few months it's been quite heavy on layoffs right okay across the board small big basically Studios probably diverse are rationalizing their workforce, okay, mm-hmm. and under the trend that we discussed earlier, right, this revenue are are, are are slowing down, right, and the amount of money to develop new games is so slow, more mm-hmm. I would say more critical, more critical in in where the, where it goes, okay. So there's an adjustment in the in the games workforce, okay, clearly. And, and do you think this adjustment is a normal adjustment because? 
the number of gamers is not going down. Like people are not stopping the gaming process. They, they're all, you know, young kids are adopting gaming and they're, they'll always be gaming. And you mentioned earlier that the number of gamers are increasing and there's a projected number of people that are going to be playing more games. But sometimes, like every other industry, people move in certain direction to certain business opportunity very fast. And there has to be some sort of a, you know, adjustment. I wouldn't call it slowdown just to rationalize where we are. Do we need all this? Or do we need to adjust it a little bit? But the demand's still there. That's what I think. Yeah, the demand is not growing as fast as it used to. If you look at the uh, demands, right? I mean, 180 million, maybe actually the market uh, retracted in 2002, for example, by 4%. So there's a bit of a, so um, I think game companies like the tech companies may have actually overhired. I don't, I'm not in them. I don't want to judge that. Okay. It's just an assumption. It would be, you know, I'm sure I've been making those decisions quite painfully, right? Okay. Nobody lays off. So, but I mean, there was a talent war similar in, in yeah. the game space that there was in the tech space. Okay. So maybe some companies, you know, decided to really build, bulk up their talent pool, yeah. thinking yep. there would be a little bit of a, the, the curve of growth would not, you know, slow down as much or we could continue mm-hmm. to grow. And then there's mm-hmm. this moment of, okay, the economics may not be completely working out as we had figured in 2019 or 20. So besides the headcount, what do you think of the number of titles that these studios are publishing now is it equal is it on the increase or is it reduced i think there's a reduction at least for now is i would say and i don't have an exact count that's the we're hearing of studios closing or studios hunkering down and you know and or ips being stopped or canceled right okay and all of this because you know probably of ROI and then they're not going to be viable right uh, so maybe people, the industry is making some hard calls, right? Yeah, yeah. Really. Now, interestingly as well, there's, you know, the industry continues to invest, games continue to be developed and published. It's just the, you know, the, we say the super hype and excitement of the 19 to 22 cycle is kind of, you know, coming down. We're going back to a more normal pace, I would normal. say. Yeah. I would imagine it's something like, you know, when you're in, in the movie business and, you know, you make, you know, one year you make two, three good movies, you hit the jackpot. Yeah. And some years you don't make good movies, but you still make a movies, but they don't make money. And you still, you know, you, you got to have to adjust somehow, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. No, I mean, it's, it's, to, to some degree, it's quite similar, but you need to keep making movies. If you want that's to right. yeah. movies, that's in the game, that's the product, right? In game, yeah. that's the product, right? You gotta, you gotta develop games, right? That's why yeah. activity. I mean, I differentiate between the games world activity and our own activity on this game. We're not slowing down, okay? But overall, there is the, the other games world is reassessing a number of their, you know, ghost pillars. I would say, right? Okay. Um, do, who's your ideal customer? Like, if you know somebody's listening to us right now and says, "Okay, man, I want to talk to these two. Who is who's your ideal customer? Oh, that's a hard question. We love them all, Robin. Right? Okay. Yeah, of course. Uh, um, <laughs> you know, I, the ideal customer. I mean, by the way, I have to say, I compare. I, I the reason I you asked me why I was not bored, right? Okay. I mean, I've. I mean, the games world has been. It's, I, I just love it. The first, the product is, is amazing, right? Okay. I remember my, my, my epiphany, right? was like in 96 when I was, cre- I was part of this, you know, created this lingual tech multimedia was focused on games localization in those days in France. And we were, we started to work on dark high, right? You can yeah. research. It's, 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 
that was amazing, right? We had the, the English as Williams Bore voice, and we had a great actor that said, "Oh my God, right? This is so amazing, right? Okay." Mm -hmm. And I fell in love with the product that time, right? So the product is amazing, right? And I have to say, one of the advantage is you're working with very creative customers, right? Okay, and the conversation is all about the quality of the game, the passion. Of course, you have economics, right? There's always a price per press power that exists as well, but it's not. It's really fun and central, and always easier to, to to agree on because you have a common culture of and uh, of the game passion right and the passion for the game and the output right that's what i love being in that space right okay. yeah, you, have, yeah. you have really this balance of let's talk about the product and the outcome and then you know let's talk about the economics in some areas of business you know the economics have trumped the output right okay so <laughs> No, I know from your from previous conversation that you provide variety of services in the industry right? in in that in that space, right? So, what are the major category of services you provide beside you know taking a game from one language, put it into another language? I'm assuming you do other things with in, That's in the right. game. I mean, quite. I mean, we have three three pillars. What we call first the content services, which is basically localization and audio. Either it's creating the original voiceover or globalizing the voiceover. The other second yeah. pillar is quality assurance or test, which is basically functional QA, working on the product at source, right? Or working on the product while it is localized, make sure the international versions work as well as the functional. And then player experience, which has two really pillars, what we call player insights, where we help our customers, you know, get insight about how the game is going to behave on the market, right? Or going to do in the market. And player engagement, which is supporting our customers in keeping a continuous a link with the uh, with the gamers, right, through community management or player support. These are the three uh, three pillars, uh, Robin, right? And and many more and more customers actually come to us for actually doing more and more with them, like a, what I call this the stack, right? Again, yeah, yeah. Right? So because there's a lot of complementarity between those services, right? So, so TD, for those uh, who are not familiar with the game industry, is it similar to any other industry? You've got your eight hundred pound gorillas at the top of the industry. And you got a whole bunch of studios that they're small SMBs, small to medium businesses in the middle and to the tail of the industry, I would call it. Is that like how it's composed or is it, is it, is it, is it like more distributed, evenly distributed? No, no, you've, you've got your, you know, your head on Korea's, you know, Sony, Microsoft. Okay. Now bigger with the Activision Blizzard sure. position, right? Tencent, number one, you know, gaming company, but it's, you could, you could look at it and think of it like the movie industry in a way, right? You've got the, the names, you know, the parameters, of it, but below that you have a number of studios. Even within those giants, they really operate at a studio level, right? And studios yeah. have quite yeah. a lot of they have a lot of quite a lot of autonomy on the creativity, for example, right? All of this yeah. under supervision, of course, right? So it's not they're not monolith, right? Okay. I mean, you know. Within a Tencent, you're going to have a Riot, you're going to have a Marvelous, right? Within Microsoft, you're going to have, a, you know, a Studio Obsidian or another, or you're going to have now Activision or Blizzard. So these are not the, each one of their own culture, right? Okay. And that's what's fun, right? Okay. Yeah. You don't work really for, you know, you know, a company X, right? You work for different studios. They have their own cultures, their own, their own genre, their own IPs, right? That's what's yeah. exciting. Every time we engage with a new studio, right? we engage with a different customer, even within a big one. And then you have the whole, what we call the double A studios, right? Which are basically people like really, usually by very creative 
leader, right, who's got some significant funding or significant insignia, but it's got a funding to build his vision. And these are also very fun to engage, sometimes with similar budget as a studio within a big, big organization, for example, right? Okay. Yeah, so, yeah. and then the layer is what we call the indies, people who have, you know, have one game, you know, they put all in on the game, they're going to publish it and they bet the farm on the house and sometimes become very successful, right? It's a very, very interesting ecosystem. So that we are facing with, but not, not, it's not very homogeneous. I hope I am choosing the right word, right? Okay. That's, that's what that's very enjoyable. Okay. Right. Okay. okay. No, no, for a, no, I hear like I, you know, I live in Canada, as you know, and I hear Montreal like is a hub for, you know, games and uh, game studio game, game studios, et cetera. There's several companies totally. and lots of, uh, they, you know, they employ a lot of people in the Montreal region. In your opinion, what are the major hubs? I'm sure Montreal is not the only town in the world where you have those major hubs of certain expertise in the, in the game development. What are the major hubs around the world? Do you know? Uh, yeah, yeah, of course. I mean, in the, I mean, by the way, Montreal is in the Americas, one, maybe even in the world, one of the largest, I would say, creative and services center in the game industry. I mean, Montreal is very important, right? Okay. I know Toronto is trying to, Ontario is trying to offer you know, similar incentives, right? And I think Saskatchewan, last time I checked, was trying as oh, well. Wow. You yeah. pronounced it correctly, and I'm so proud of you. Yeah, and you know, there's also, of course, in, in British Columbia, there's a, a lot of creative energy as well. But look, think about it like the West Coast, right? I mean, you know, LA, the LA Irvine corridors, some in the Bay Area, of course, Seattle. Right, the Seattle area, very big gaming center. Right in Europe, it's kind of distributed. Really, the UK has a lot of uh, creative. Poland is now one one of the biggest games market in the world in terms of creative energy. Right, mm -hmm. okay, Germany as well, and then the Asian market, of course, China. So it's very quite distributed. Right, the China, Japan, yeah, yeah. Korean. You know, is like it's a nation of gamers. Sometimes we like to say, right? Okay, Every, I mean, it's quite it's quite a global. I had a two interesting statistic. For you, and I'm going to try to remember, but if I, even if I don't remind, I think 80% of the top grossing movies in the world were connected to Hollywood. Yes. Okay? I think the ratio for games, I think it was barely over 50% of the games had a America's or U.S. connection. Oh, wow. Yes, in terms of where the games, when the IP was created. So it's a much more balanced creative, creative energies, right? Okay. Oh, wow. And that's really what's enjoyable as well. It's, it's a global business. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. You need that. Uh, yeah, exactly. And so that's why we have, you know, footprint where it matters. Right. But, you know, Korean customers, Japanese customers, Chinese customers. Right. Okay. And of course, West, U.S., European customers, Canadian customers, but very, very, very distributed in terms of where creativity is coming from, which is great, which is, by the way, going back to our mission of cultural adaptation and convey the story. Right. Okay. When you you know take an IP from Asia to the West, what we call what we call East okay. to West offering for us, right? Gotta gotta rebuild the story, right? Gotta use narrative right. designers. You gotta translators who have done that and so so. That's passion. That's that's I, we didn't I didn't know that, right? In in the tech world, of you had the fields by die all that stuff, right? You know that Robin very well. Or you know in Japan you cannot have this or that on the software for example the date format right the classic but in the games it's at the story level right yeah. it's about you know how to reconvey that you know it's this cross cultural 
element in co- is, uh, is just great. Okay. Now, is the users, though, so I know the, the IP, from an IP perspective, game IP perspective is, is balanced, but are the users the same as well as the gamers are balanced as well? Or do you see certain gamers' demographics have bigger, more demanding, more higher appetite for games than other demographics? To lower it down to an example, yeah, in terms of, English versus Spanish versus I mean, in Indian. terms of gamers, yeah, completely. In terms of gamers, Asia is number one, right? Okay. Okay. Then you got then in the you know the North America, then Europe, then Latin America, right? But all of them until maybe a year goes things. I don't have the exact latest stat, but Latin America was growing a seven to ten percent a year in terms of gamers and spend, right? Okay. Yeah. Uh, Europe was. Two three percent growth. All those markets were growing, right? Okay. Southeast Asia is coming online as well. We're starting to do more and more work for into those mm-hmm. markets, right? Okay. And India as well. So it's really a truly global phenomenon, right? Okay. Yeah. Uh, so from a, have you ever seen a? Like I would imagine, like now, everybody who anyone who creates a game, you know, the most immediate thing they need to do is they need to think how many languages I need to put this game into, right. versus the old days. I used to create game, for instance, in English. And it will always stay in English or in French will always stay in French. So now I'm assuming the game studios, it's like you don't even have to convince them that they need to, you know, to localize their game into multiple languages. It's part of their business procedure. Am I, yep. is it far-fetched that way or are you oh, still? No, no. It, it, actually, it's, it's interesting. So, you know, different, it's an interesting model, right? Okay. Because it's a bit like, again, I'm going to refer to the Hollywood model, right? You got the, you got the studios who create, okay. And then you got publishers, right? So in the big organizations, like we mentioned earlier, they're gonna have they're gonna do their own publishing, okay? But an old model is I create a great game, I'm gonna give it to a, a big uh, publisher to publish to the world, and the publisher to the world will take care of sometimes of QA, of but of localization of the text, the content, localization of the audio stuff. Right? So there is a bit of a separation of 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 missions in a way. Right. Okay. Developers will develop. They will be published sometimes by their own organization or not, or they will work with a publisher who's going to basically take it to the world. Right. Oh, I see. This is interesting. Right. Okay. Yeah. And, and, you know, some studios decide to do the job. I'm going to self publish. Right. Suddenly they have to learn to do localization. They have to do to market games. So you have all a bit of the, so they don't always necessarily think about the world when they do the game sometimes always right okay because yeah. they have a story they think on the work and then sometimes they don't always think at source how this is going to convey in korea or japan or france right okay yeah, yeah. so you've got to still some of the variants and some and of the stories like you know like we call it globalization is globalization embedded in the creative process not always not, yeah, always. Yeah. not always actually not always not always right i mean we frequently have to work with uh, our asian uh, partners to tell them, hey, this work doesn't work culturally. You cannot do this, and vice versa, right? You know, you cannot get yep. a super shooter game in this culture. It won't work. You need to adapt. So there's a lot of cultural conversation with this, right? It's not. So you're almost doing consulting plus totally. uh, localization, basically. Geopolitical, right? Yeah. And you start to yeah. touch some, you know, the Southeast, who say the the China Sea world, or the the Greater China yeah. world, when in the relationship with neighbors. You sometimes we have to work with our partners, right, and either side of the Pacific to make them understand that work doesn't work, right? Okay. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. Robin, you should join games. It's fascinating. No, speaking of that, speaking of this, you know, I'm imagining some of our audience here. They think, okay, to dwell in Robin, they're making a good sense. 
I would like to join that whole game industry thing in localization. And, you know, our audience is localization industry. So do they need to have an experience or an expertise in, in games before they join or could they be retrained, can be reskilled, retooled? What, have you seen this before or what was your experience? Yes. So, I mean, a good, a good game translator will, will, will generally be somebody who plays games, right? Okay. And because, and was, you know, has translated that type of material already, right? Okay. I mean, you, you, it's a specialization you choose, right? Really, right? Because for passion for the product, right? So yeah. over, over the years, you become better, you receive feedback. I'm assuming that's how it works. It's a bit like the people, you know, I know that world a little bit, right? Is people who work on, you know, for Netflix would do like, you know, streaming videos, streaming content, localization. Yeah, so yeah. very different world, right? Mm -hmm. I know, I know the translation is different, but the same. So you choose it, right? Or if you're a younger translator, if you want to do a switch, nobody, nobody, nobody prevents you from doing that, but you're going to have to immerse yourself in the product. Okay. You're going to have to do your homework to see what, I mean, and you're going to have some creative talent because again, you're telling a story, right? Mm -hmm. And it's, mm -hmm. it's really, they are the own lingo. They are their own language. Game is their own language. Game yeah, and codes. And you have very different genres as well. You got the simulators in MMOs, the open worlds, right? So you can build a specialty, right? Okay. It's hard that we have somebody who can work across everything as well. Similar like life science, tech. Right. Games the same diversity of genres. That's right. Okay. But, you know, if you're a non translator and you play games, which play video games, which most of them do probably those days anyway, right? Okay. Right. It's a great career. It's a very rewarding career. Right. Yeah. And, and you're saying with a bit of a, what were you saying is with a bit of a training and a bit of a self motivation in terms of absorbing the material, in terms of immersing in the industry. Yeah. It should be okay. Yeah, you have to, I mean, if you play games, you know how you always play games in your language. You already know those things are translated. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, it's yeah, you got to jump on it, right? Okay. Excellent. Now, the uh, one of the, and I saved this one to the end because I didn't want to hit you with it at the beginning. So the elephant in the room, AI, and in a variety of its form, you know, Gen AI, you know, any any type of AI. How is that impacting your industry? How is that impacting the games industry in terms of either the creation part or the creativity part, like on the on the game side of things? Because now I'm hearing that AI is creating some games, apparently, and that industry is going to go through that transformation on the AI side. And plus on the localization side, I'm assuming AI has some impact. How is that impacting you on both on the customer side and on our side here? In, sure. at so I, I prefer saying I'm not an AI expert. Right. Okay. Remember, nobody is yet. Who's still yeah, learning? Yeah, I'm coming, and I'm coming to the games well with a more in my, you know, my translator and and liberal arts background. So I'm also not an engineer, just to be, you know, very clear. So here's look, the most interesting conversation I had with, you know, somebody who was a creative director at a studio in the Seattle area. Right. Okay. And, and because I wanted to understand what is the impact on games. Right. Okay. And this you know, different set of opinion. I, the one I told me is, look, it's going to multiply the creativity of the games industry, right? His opinion is, you know, game industry may have been cruising a little bit in terms of the concepts, the business models, right? He says, it's a welcome jolt. It's a welcome tool to give a jolt to our creative juices. He was very excited, actually, right? But by, by what AI could bring to the game space, right? And, you know, that's what I'm hearing generally 
is the ability to create more complex game, more immersive games, right? Is 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 going to be one of the positive outcome of AI, right? Now downstreams, I think we're all assessing still what it means if you're on the if you're an artist, if you're a developer, if you're a translator, if you're a, a VO artist, right? No need to talk about the the strike that happened in Hollywood. That is, you know, the actors. Same t- whether your games or, you know, you're a, a streaming VO artist. The same conversation over. I mean, right? So if people are assessing what it means. Okay. I mean, the general statement across those disciplines. What I've heard from people who are in the art, or people who are in the dev, or in the translation, is is going to basically enhance the productivity of the better people. Right. Okay. That's what I'm hearing generally, right? Like in every, I'm not hearing doom, doomsday scenarios. No. At all, <laughs> right? But, you know, people are still starting to use the tool, assessing the impact. As far as we're concerned, because, you know, that's what we're doing, right? We have, we're lucky you and I to be part of language, one of the leaders, right? We know, yep. right, who, we know we have a significant team in product management, yep. R&D, and dev who's basically building an infrastructure for yep. us to succeed, which, you know, which in games we are leveraging every day and augmenting with the game specific element. Okay. Mm-hmm. But I would say after, you know, a few months of pilot and experimentation, we're starting to have some data points, right. And, you know, we're talking to our customers, we experiment a lot with them, but I think it's, it's going to be very interesting, right. Okay. What it does to us. I know how you have especially that. On the, especially on the content creation part, especially on the game yeah. development part, right. So, mm-hmm. you know, I'm, for me, you know, I mean, I agree with the, the the concept of we're still discovering because even the AI itself as a machine oh. learning, still learning, you oh. know, the machine itself is still learning. So we're far from singularity, but not that far. I'm hearing singularity, you know, not that far upon us, five to seven years. That's, the, that's what I'm hearing. It's people speculating at this point. Oh. And, but I don't know where that's going to end up. But at this point, you're right on the uh, comment that from your friend in, in, in the area that we needed something to poke us basically to get, to get us out of our comfort zone. So we say, okay, look what the machine is doing. Basically the human play your part, either you outsmart it or it would create something better, something more different, or it's going to replace you. And there'd be two categories. We always talk about this one category of people that will adapt, that will learn, that will use it as a tool to make them better. And the people that they're probably going to say, well, I can't do this. And there'll be a different, different story for that. The gaming industry, though, of course, it's a creative industry, but it's also a very deep engineering industry, right? I mean, they are oh, I'm assuming, yeah. at the forefront of some of those trends. They're dropping those trends very well. And well. So they've seen, they know, they've, been, they've seen a few technology revolution already, right? So, and so I, I think it's, the game is the, the the games world is going to do well with with Gina. Now there's also an element which is the legal aspect, the IP protection, very deep, right? It's part of the values of the games world. IP is everything, got to protect it, right? How the still we're still figuring out how Genai and IP protection play hand in hand, right? Yep. Okay. So there's going to be that element that's going to play, but I think for the most part it's going to be you know a positive impact. Okay. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I mean, Absolutely. we can get more games faster, right? Okay. We're all going to benefit. In, on so, the, if, you know, an example, like if a studio would take them like six months to develop a, a game, you know, using AI, probably will shorten that to like two months, well, three months. Right I I mean, what I'm hearing is the time to concept is going to be shortened significantly, which is basically the time to yes or no, 
is going to be shortened quite rapidly, right? Okay. And and you know by you know a lot of times you know you've got these concept ideas, and you only want to dedicate to the you know the prioritize them one or two. They raise to they rise to the top after some studies and some surveys, and they say okay, we're going to develop these two titles. I'm assuming now with the lower cost of development, you can develop more titles and take more risks out there, right? Totally, and that's you're completely right actually because that's also one of the the question in, in, in the Gen AI is, okay, there's going to be enhanced productivity, right? Where, where is the, who's going to benefit, right? Where is the, what is the value, what is the value redistribution, okay? And of those savings, right? My, my view is based on conversation with publishers and developers is this money is going to go back to being more, even more creative, okay? And closer to home, reaching out more uh, gamers. Right. Because yeah. okay. yeah. as we discuss, there's so many games the world can play. So your growth vector is reaching more gamers around the world. This is why we believe when an mm-hmm. ideal condition to continue to grow is your growth is going to be attracting new demographics, new locales, new regions. Right. And the last topic I have before we close off, I'm cognizant of the time here for you. Have and I've seen it before, but I don't know to what depth or what extent. Have the gaming idea, the gamification, if you want to call it, has made it to the corporate world, meaning that, you know, are we using are, I've seen it before, but I don't know to what level, to how much, to what depth it is being used in the corporate world that in concept of game, gaming is being used as a tool to train for speed to learn people like they learn faster if they game it, meaning like I've seen people like they use to train underwriters in, in insurance companies on you know how to practice their work, how to do their job using some sort of a game. And are you seeing this in the corporate world or has it not yet at a big scale? I mean, I know defense defense sector uses games to simulate and to do simulations, et cetera, but yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. not sure in the corporate world. So I've actually, to be honest, Brett, and I, we have a lot of it, okay? We actually, but interestingly, six months ago, we started to work with a big American Grocery chain, right? Grocery store chain, right? But this is starting to use actually games, literally games, right? To engage their customers, right? On the, on the, on the, on, online, right? Okay. So it's, I mean, you had, remember you remember early days, you had like, it was a bit of a craze. Everything was gamified. You went to McDonald's, you had the gamified experiences. So I think it's maybe have either we're not part of it, right? In all honesty, or it has slowed down, but this interesting and, we're going to start to see that more also in the integration of VR. VR games, corporate, I believe, is going to be an interesting. Interesting. Uh, yeah, yeah. So in the simulation, so I think that's going to be where we see it, okay, more, okay. Um, so, Didi, in, in our final thoughts here, any final comments, final thoughts before we wrap it up? Just join the games world. I mean, play games. If you want a career, it's a very exciting career, right, okay, whether you're a translator a, you want to be you want to be a tester, right? You have you don't know what you do. You have a degree, but you don't know what to do. Come join, be a tester. Great way to get into the totally. game space, right? We have many of our testers who've made a career and become producers, right? Okay, audio, plenty of career. I mean, even you know, with even the audio potentially replacing some of the acting, there's going to be a lot of work to be done there. I mean, it's it's it's, it's you could be a developer, an artist. It's a great great. You know, Absolutely. it's a great space to make a career. I mean, really. Oh, great. 
And, you know, you both on the developer publisher side, and I want to speak for industry, right, irrespective of we're competing for day in, day out, but we, our industry overall, uh, our sourcing industry, right, offers really great careers as well, right, okay? Mm-hmm. You can have fun and enjoy yeah. being in the game space, even if you're not on the supplier side, irrespective yeah. of where you are, okay? Yeah. So, you know, but yeah, play a lot of games. We need this revenue, you know, you know. <laughs> We need to grow, Robin, right? That's right. That's right. So for the the audience, I really want to emphasize the point that TD was trying to make here, that if you are in the gaming industry, if you have any inclination to explore, to find out a little bit more about it, please reach out to my friend, Tudual. You can find him on the LimeBridge website, LimeBridge.com, and or on LinkedIn. He's also responsive on LinkedIn as well. Reach out to him. If you're a customer interested in exploring possibility of doing some business with LimeBridge on the game side, please also reach out to Tudual and his team. They'll be very happy to support you and help you out. Right. And for TD, I want to thank you so much for being, for joining me today on this recording of this podcast. I really appreciate your time. You're so gracious with your time with me. Always good to see you. Always to have a good good to have a good conversation together. Yeah. I always enjoy our conversation. I feel like yeah. I've known you for years. I f- it feels so natural for me to talk to you. So. <laughs> a little bit, yeah. A yeah. little bit of time, yeah? Let's not age, let's not age date ourselves. So all about the spirit, woman, right? Okay. That's right. That's right. Okay. So anyway. always pleasure. Appreciate the and, uh, yeah, yeah, no problem. Thank and you. I want to thank the audience for listening into this conversation, yeah. this podcast. Thank you very much for joining us. If you like the content that we're producing here, Please like it, share it, comment on it, and we appreciate your support. And thank you very much, and I'll see you in the next episode. Thank you, everyone. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to the Localization Fireside Chat. Take the warmth of knowledge and renewed cultural passion with you. Keep exploring. Stay curious. And until next time, this is Robin Ayu. Keep those global conversations alive.